Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And maybe people are sick of crazy parlay bet talk by now. Maybe they aren't. But we had another one last weekend worth chatting about. A FanDuel customer hit a 12-leg Ryder Cup parlay at 150000 to one, turning $8 into $966,000. And what made it particularly crazy was that the better called a pair of ties in Sunday matches. Uh, Morikawa versus Hovland with a plus 550 price on a tie and Spieth versus Fleetwood with a plus 650 price. Uh, The better also mixed in four underdogs to go with six favorites. John, you know golf. I don't. uh, I don't even know how Ryder Cup scoring works. So you tell me just how crazy was this? And do you look at the bet slip and suspect this guy has some real skill or was he just throwing 12 darts? Yeah, I mean, the real shocker was the pick of, uh, you know, never won a tour event rookie Scotty Scheffler over Rom, who not only is the world number one, but uh, who was one of the few Europeans who actually played well on Friday and Saturday. Maybe he confused Scheffler with gold medalist Shuffley. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I actually looked at the 12 head to heads odds on Sunday morning to make a few bets. And uh, I made five picks. I went two, two and one, including the Spieth Fleetwood match and uh, where I had the latter. Uh, if there was any match where I would pick a tie and I wouldn't, it would have been Morikawa versus Hovland. I get that one. Those guys are going to be the next 10 or 12 Ryder Cups going head to head. They're both unbeatable, so they didn't get beaten. Um, <laughs> I took DJ over Casey, uh, figuring the latter guy always misses the big putt. And he had one, I think, inside of 10 feet on 18 for the tie. And of course, he missed. So I, I, I got that pick. Uh, but, you know, if the top six favorites all won and then the guy ran the table on the other six, uh, OK, maybe. But, you know, four dogs and two ties. That's lunacy. <laughs> I, I do wonder, though, if it was if it was a pro there with an algorithm who placed like 40 versions of this on various sites. Mm-hmm. And this was maybe the one of the most extreme ones and it paid off. Hmm, that's something to think about, whether they had a whole bunch of bets going. It's sort of like uh, entering 150 times in a DFS contest or something. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, exactly. So, so it's funny. I was going to say that I really like the fact that this was just for eight dollars. Um, and so it doesn't irritate me at all from a responsible gambling standpoint. But now now you've created this possibility that he actually had like eight hundred dollars riding on these crazy combinations. But if it was just a single bet you're playing the lottery with an amount of money that you won't miss at all. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it can add up over the course of a year. You keep losing eight bucks. Maybe it takes a $300 uh, divot to use a golf term uh, out of your betting bankroll uh, without you realizing h- how much you've spent. But um, you know, at, at this price point, I, I can't really knock it. Um, even though it each parlay bet like this is certainly a minus EV play. Um but uh, as for the, the golf itself, as I mentioned to you offline, John, I, I did watch a little Ryder Cup. I took in a solid five minutes or so on Saturday because I was in need of a nap so that I'd be able to stay awake for the boxing later. So I turned on the golf, saw a few shots, and my undiagnosed narcolepsy kicked right in. Thank you, golf. You did your job. 
Yeah, I, I can't uh, talk you out of that. On Sunday was not uh, not so much. I mean, early on, the Europeans needed a, a quick wave, and then get the Americans nervous and the whole thing. And yeah, it didn't happen. So you didn't miss anything on Sunday either. So All right. uh, well played. <laughs> thank you. And thank you to everyone out there listening for joining us for episode number 162 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 161 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Note that a 162-leg parlay of listening to every single episode one after the other pays quite handsomely in entertainment value. Uh, yeah, Eric, to be honest, I think we lost a few episodes and we struggled to tie in a few others. So uh, that would have been the play, you know, a few losses and a few ties would have been the uh, 162 game parlay here, I think. But um, Fair coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by a uh, six time World Series of Poker bracelet winner, Dan in the Grano, uh, as the 2021 edition of the World Series of Poker is about to begin. We're going to ask Daniel about the vaccine requirement, what kind of atmosphere and field sizes he's expecting, and also his thoughts on a couple of brand new events. But first, it's been a yeah typically busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Just like when we discussed the launch of Arizona sports betting a few weeks ago, our first news story might not give us much fodder for discussion, but it's an important story about a new state going live, so let's cover it quickly. The new state in question is Connecticut, and sports betting begins, well, pretty much right as we're recording this on Thursday morning, September 30th. DraftKings Sportsbook at Foxwoods and FanDuel Sportsbook at Mohegan Sun are both poised to begin taking bets at windows and kiosks after the state approved their sports betting licenses on Tuesday. Mobile betting isn't ready yet, but our colleague Jill Dorson reported on Sports Handle that her sources anticipate a soft launch of that will begin next week. John, I know you're planning a drive from North Jersey to the Connecticut casinos to check it out pretty much as soon as we're done recording here. So what are you expecting to see? And how does this launch timeline align with what you were anticipating for Connecticut? I'm just picturing how some other New England uh, gaming insiders are uh, feeling right now. Uh, like the ones in New Hampshire who experienced the state losing millions of dollars on the last Patriots Super Bowl win and cover, while Connecticut, of course, broke even. Uh, right. <laughs> it's amusing to me that the launch comes though, this three days before the epic return of prodigal son Tom Brady to neighboring Massachusetts to mm. face the Patriots. Uh, some of the uh, bookmakers are saying this is going to be the most heavily bet on uh, regular season game of the year. Uh, I think the bookies around the country can't give enough points to get anyone to take the Patriots. And it'll be interesting to see if, if Connecticut, any Connecticutians, Onians, Cutters, <laughs> whatever, yeah, whatever they are, um, will they go the same route and given their love for Brady? Or do they have to stick with the Patriots? I'm not sure, but um, I'll skip the awkward ribbon cuttings today and, and pseudo celebrity uh, appearances as well. And typically these uh, things open just with temporary sports books and ramp up right. later. So I don't expect a lot of drama, but uh, it's still worth visiting. Yeah. So I'll be curious then if you uh, see some betters there taking the Patriots and can get an interesting quote or two about uh, mm -hmm. the, the, their position on that. And I believe I'm, I'm going to say Connecticutians uh, might be my preferred uh, pronunciation, but I have no idea. I am not a person from Connecticut myself. Um, a, a I like couple... Connecticut, Connecticut, Connecticut cutters would be good. I don't think that's right, but it, it 
it's good. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if the term cutter is a little too sensitive these days uh, without <laughs> oh, the Kineta gosh. part. So I don't know. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not down with that one necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of things uh, I'll be watching with Connecticut. First, it's an interesting experiment in between the wide open markets in New Jersey and similar states and the monopoly in a state like the one you mentioned, New Hampshire. You know, this isn't one sports book operator, but isn't 10 or 20 either. It's three. So customers have some choice and room for line shopping, but not much, not enough for a serious better who's looking to get every last penny of edge. So I'll, I'll be curious what feedback we hear from gamblers in Connecticut about their experience uh, as the weeks and months go by. The other thing that'll be interesting is to see what their handle and revenue numbers are like in October, November, December, January, as compared to after New York launches mobile, which might be in time for the Super Bowl, it might not. But th- this is a small window here of a few months to pick up some customers in New York who are closer to the Connecticut border than to the Jersey border. So I think I think that makes tracking the handle numbers the next several months a little more interesting. Uh, they will get a couple of Massachusetts yeah. um, <laughs> also until next year. So yeah, there is a small window for on, 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 all, all, of, on all sides pretty much, yeah. There, there is a well-known term for people from Massachusetts. Yeah, I, uh, that, yeah. I, I, I won't <laughs> use it. It, it, it. Me neither. Yeah. Okay. All right. We, we both know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, I <it> do. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next story should give us a little more to talk about. Uh, as the U.S. has its first ever major sports team set to wear an advertising patch for a gambling company. We've seen these on soccer teams in Europe for years, but now the trend has arrived on our shores with Caesars Sportsbook buying a little real estate on the sweaters of the Washington Capitals. It won't go into effect until the 2022-23 season, but when it does, the Caps will wear the logo on home jerseys, and the team might sell a different gaming sponsorship for road jerseys. This partnership is no surprise, as there is a retail Caesars Sportsbook at Capital One Arena, the first U.S. sports venue to open a brick-and-mortar book. And the timing is particularly interesting because in Europe, this practice happens to be on the decline right now. Sportsbook jersey patches have been banned in Spain and Italy, and the UK is considering doing the same, basically because it has been determined to have caused harm in terms of adding to problem gambling or underage gambling. John, any surprise that the U.S. would be going down this road despite warning signs from other countries? And how do you personally feel about seeing gambling operator logos on sports uniforms? Well, you know, I think non-gamblers, they believe Caesars is a casino company and FanDuel and DraftKings are some kind of a game, you know, not gambling, which uh, well played by them and their marketing people. But, um, you know, the leagues have to get smart like the NFL so far is on the national TV games. Only one gambling commercial per quarter. Mm. I mean, sure, there are some before tie-ins and everything else before and after the games, but a lot of people don't watch any of that anyway. So, you know, keep it to one gambling logo for two years or so on the uniform and see what shakes out. Europe went bonkers right away and never checked the temperature in the room, so to speak. So if you want an offensive logo, it was Nike on those great old school Field of Dreams Yankees and White Sox uniforms. <laughs> Is there nothing they don't have to get their mitts on? I mean, again, so to speak, right. uh, I wouldn't vote for any ads on uh, uniforms. But look, I'm a baby boomer. Uh, we got our way for long enough. So I'm just getting <laughs> out of the way of this one. I like your attitude there. Uh, you know, we, we had to know this day was coming uh, once sports betting was legalized uh, outside Nevada, that this was an eventuality. Um, 
I'm more or less okay with anything up to when a team actually renames itself the Caesar Sportsbook Washington Capitals or something. That's that's when it will cross over into making me really personally sad about how far it's gone. Um, a patch on the uniform, I don't think that's terribly different than signage on the rink or 40 TV ads that air over the course of a game. As you said, uh, the NFL is taking the right approach on limiting those ads. Um, all that said, here was what former Gamble on guest Brianne Dora Shawal told our own Jeff Edelstein this week. She said, quote, we need to be considering the sheer amount of advertising, how it's being done and who is consuming it. Sports are enjoyed by an array of folks, youths included, also a great number of people who could be considered vulnerable and at risk. I fear that we are normalizing gambling so rapidly and the saturation of advertising now even on jerseys is just too much, end quote. Um, I hear what she's saying. Even if I don't mind the jersey patches specifically, the additive effect of, of all these things normalizing sports gambling, it's a lot. And it does have to be accompanied by some sort of education about how to gamble responsibly. I, I think that's the key is, you know, especially with kids uh, who are seeing all these ads, you want to present it in the right light, educate them somehow along the way uh, about what sports gambling is and, and how to approach it responsibly. So I, I get Brianne's concerns. Um, and, and, and the fact that Europe is pulling back and the U.S. seems ready to ignore that, that that's a serious topic that bears monitoring. But that said, I, I would fully expect the patches on jerseys to explode over the next few years to, to grow big time for a while before it perhaps eventually begins to contract. Yeah, I was thinking if we just take greed out of it, then I realized how naive that, that stupid <laughs> comment is. But uh, but really, that's what I that's what I want. I mean, let's, you know, dip our toe in. I understand. I get it. I'm not saying you can't do any of it, but really wait and see, you know, what the public accepts, what they're OK with, whether there are any impacts, whether we should have some sort of a issue of, look, the more gambling uh advertisements, logos, everything else you do. Yeah. The more you chip in for responsible gambling. I mean, I'm not saying that's a, a solution exactly, but at least it's a help. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, nobody's going to uh, dip their toe in uh, <laughs> carefully. Even like you say, Europe is already out there as a disaster example. And yet here we go anyway. So uh, money talks, I guess. Right. So you you are uh, going against uh, Gordon Gecko's life philosophy from Wall Street. Greed, <laughs> greed is not good in your in John Brennan's view. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm old school, I guess. <laughs> right. OK. Um, our third story this week combines the worlds of football, horse racing and big business. And it takes us to the Windy City, where the wind is blowing toward the Chicago Bears purchasing Arlington Park. The Bears franchise announced Wednesday that it had signed a purchase and sale agreement with Churchill Downs Incorporated to buy the nearly century-old racetrack north of the city as the Bears look to move out of Soldier Field and into the Burbs. It wouldn't happen immediately, though. The Bears have a contract with Soldier Field for another dozen years, and they can't even pay to break it until 2026. Even before this Bears news, it was expected that the 2021 meet would be the last horse racing season at Arlington Park. Uh, our colleague Mike Seeley wrote not long ago about Churchill Downs not exactly going out of its way to stand by horse racing in recent years. John, what do you make of this agreement? Do you assume it means the Bears will indeed eventually build a football stadium at Arlington Park? And you cover horse racing at times. How serious a blow is this to that sport? 
Yeah, this got my juices flowing in a way. It reminds me of 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, nobody remembers now, but the Devils were going to Hoboken. The Jets were going back to Queens and the Nets are going to Brooklyn and so forth. Um, well, one out of three, uh, it, it <laughs> happened. Uh, and all three got further along than this one has so far. So, you know, it's all about leverage for the Bears, clearly. And in this case, I think a lot of politicians will be uh, scared, S-less, uh, that a move <laughs> of the Bears to the suburbs would bounce them from political office. And that's all they're thinking about, let's be honest. I mean, and heck, the massive subsidy from John Q. Public uh, to tax to billionaire team owners, it doesn't cost that much personally, so why not? Um, by the way, I actually went to the Arlington track once in my hmm. Forrest Gump-like fashion about 30 <laughs> years ago uh, when one of my sisters lived in the area. Uh, now, there happened to be a tornado in the distance that day, and it literally was cool. You know, uh, it didn't reach the track, but we lost power. Uh, I naively wondered why they wouldn't let the thoroughbreds race around the track anyway for entertainment, even though there was no betting possible. Yeah, I got more than one hairy eyeball on that one, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> late, apparently, but I, I have learned since. But uh, anyway, the danger for horse racing is that if Arlington can go under, well, maybe they can let a track in a neighboring state go under this as well, and so on and so forth. And there it goes, you know. My last publisher of the Bergen Record was once asked uh, why the paper published 365 days a year. And he said that once people don't get something every day, they realize they actually can live without it. Mm -hmm. Don't ever let them know that. And this is sort of like that uh, for the sport of Kings. Don't uh, don't let anyone realize that, you know what, we don't have to have horse racing forever in our state and we don't have to subsidize it in many cases. We don't have to siphon off uh, slot machine revenues, keep them going. Uh, and so unfortunately, this is this is a scary one, I think, for thoroughbred racing and yeah, actually all all racing in yeah, general. Yeah, that, that's a perfect analogy about the newspaper. Absolutely. Um I, on a sort of a barely related note, uh, I found it funny that there was a brief conversation in our company Slack about Chicago adding a second NFL team. Uh, it was quickly <laughs> shouted down as ridiculous. It's a Bears town. A second team has no chance of gathering fans there. It's not like L.A., which is full of transplants who are theoretically open to attaching themselves to a new team. And even so. The Chargers aren't really catching on. They have no home field advantage yet. So I think we can throw that idea out, the, a second NFL team in Chicago. Um, but a, a lot is changing in Chicago gambling-wise. There's the downtown casino situation. Uh, it's expected that one will open by 2025. Uh, Chris Altruda reported for Sports Handle that Soldier Field could actually become a casino at some point. Um, but for now, there's a lot of push and pull over just putting sports books in the stadiums. Uh, DraftKings wants one at Wrigley. The city rules don't allow it yet, but that might be changing. There's a lot to watch uh, in Chicago. I Illinois is a, a booming sports betting state, uh, as we discussed with our guests last week, and uh, changes are very much afoot in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, you got to realize state by state differs a lot. You know, I remember when uh, the Giants and Jets were trying to get a new stadium about 15 years ago also, and they kind of went in with the usual, hey, you know, we really need a free stadium or we might move to, I don't know, L.A., which everybody did, and you know, including the Vikings and Colts and all these other teams. And, of course, the Jersey-style uh, top people involved with this said, like, Ooh, you're scaring me. You're going to move out of the biggest market to, <laughs> wow, the second biggest market. Yeah, that's a great idea. That'll be awesome. You know, that, that works in Minnesota. It works in Indianapolis. Didn't work here. So the Giants and Jets, unfortunately for them, had to pay for their own stadium. They got some infrastructure deals and they got a, a rent deal where they didn't have to pay uh, any increase for like 20 years. And so I'm not saying they didn't get a decent deal, but uh, they did 
reasonably well under the circumstances. And the, but in Chicago, even though it's a big market and the threat of moving isn't you know, moving you know, out of the region is not so much. But still, uh, the fact is that there's not much that that gets an incumbent unelected in anywhere in the country. But one of them is like something like that. You know, I don't care what they are. I don't know the details of their health care you know, concerns or whatever, you know, environment or anything else. But I do know that the bears are moving and I'm, I'm going to vote out everybody who, who moved them out. So I don't want I don't want to drive or even get a car for that matter <laughs> or an Uber to go to the game. So I think that the bears are going to do very well here. Well, I saw the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, quoted in Chris Altruda's story, and uh, I guess, uh, you know, she certainly doesn't want the Bears to leave, but at the same time, it sounds like it's not going to happen immediately if it does happen. So it's probably going to yeah. it's probably going to hurt some other politician, not her down the road. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. But then, you know, a lot of the uh, council members, for instance, so they're, they're around forever. Right. A mayor is only going to do a term or two or three at the most. Um, but the council members and those people, that that's their job for life. And so whatever they have to do, they'll do. I remember the when Yankee Stadium was being pitched and the Yankees got all these subsidies, you know, and when you go to a press conference and just 15 years ago, George Steinbrenner saw around when he shows up at the event and all the elected officials show up wearing Yankees hats, <laughs> you're not really sure that they are, you know, digging in hard for the taxpayer against this big multi-billion dollar company. Wonder maybe, you know, uh, it turned out that uh, it all came out in the wash, but uh, yeah, the city council got their own suite at the game. So I'm not sure they, they went, right down to the nickel on the accounting and make sure that the, they got the best possible deal for the for John Q. Public. Right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The World Series of Poker starts this week and will look a little different from past years as it's taking place in the fall, not the summer. There might be more players wearing masks than hoodies, and the field sizes might not be as huge as usual, but a different looking WSOP is, at the very least, much better than what we had in 2020, which was no in-person WSOP at all. Joining us now to talk about the 2021 World Series is a man who is in the Poker Hall of Fame, who has won six World Series bracelets and two WSOP Player of the Year awards over his illustrious career. He's an ambassador for GG Poker, and he's one of the hosts of the only poker podcast I still listen to every week, Dat Poker Podcast. He is Kid Poker Daniel Negranu. Daniel, thanks for joining us us again on Gamble On. It's a pleasure, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Uh, so let's get to the most complicated and controversial topic right out of the gate. Uh, the WSOP is requiring proof of COVID vaccination to play this year. Two questions. Do you think the WSOP had any other choice really than to do it this way? And second, how concerned are you that there will be unvaccinated players faking their status and circumventing the rules? So first and foremost, you know, obviously it's a difficult situation and you try to figure out what is the best course of action to make the World Series as smooth as possible, right? So you take a lot of your recommendations from the Southern Health District of Nevada, from the CDC, and one of the big concerns a lot of people had was the idea that the way the rules are stated, you know, in this, in this state, in Nevada, if somebody unvaccinated, right, is in contact with somebody who had COVID, they must quarantine for 14 days. So this isn't a World Series of Poker decision. This is simply the state saying that. So what, what stress does that put on the World Series? Imagine the main event. We're on day three. There's an unvaccinated player. But he was seated at a table with somebody who, got, who tested positive, went to get tested, 
and unfortunately got the bad news. And then the rules are that anyone in their in their vicinity that was around them needs to also quarantine. So that player on day three has to be disqualified, right? That's a problem. That's a big logistical shit show, for lack of a better term. Okay. So this way, with the proof of vaccine, uh, it sort of allows that to be a little more streamlined. It also because Sislak uh, added a new rule, which allows uh, environments that are you know where everyone has to show proof of vaccine, where those players will not have to wear a mask when they're seated at the table. Now, are people going to fake vaccination cards? Now, if you just tried to get some vaccination cards and fill them out and uh, you know pass them through the Clear app, they'll get flagged because there is a number associated with your name. I have heard rumors that there are some shady people willing to commit a federal crime by you know having an employee at Walgreens or somebody you know put them in the system. And in those cases, it's going to be basically impossible for the World Series to stop that, right? If, if you're going to do that. But you have to wonder, like, wow, I mean, what big, strong, tough guy is afraid of a little itty bitty jab in the arm? It's not that bad. It's only a better papa. That they're willing to literally potentially spend a time in prison for that. It's crazy to me. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, so that sort of addresses the the logistical side, just from a, a personal side as a player um, who clearly is vaccinated and, and has stated as much. If you're vaccinated, you're very, very unlikely to get seriously ill with COVID, although you can still catch it, of course. Um, but just how much more at ease does it put you being in that room under the impression that everyone else is vaccinated? I mean, a little bit like I'm not a scientist, right? So I don't know like how, you know, how relevant it is in terms of whether it can still transmit and pass from person to person. But I mean, obviously it's a benefit, right? From everything that I've read and seen, you know, someone who's unvaccinated is more likely to get it, more likely to spread it, of course, more likely to get severely ill from it. So be a good boy. My dog. <laughs> it's all right. We're, we're, we're always open to having an extra guest yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> they had the door, they heard the doorbell. So yeah, obviously that's a benefit. There is a little bit of a, understandably a cockamamie rule where like, so you're seated at the table, right? You have, you know, you don't have to wear a mask, but then if you move like from table seven to table 20, you have to put the mask on. And like, when you think about that, you know, from a theater perspective, it seems like, okay, that seems kind of silly. We're all in the same vicinity. But the reason for that is there may be some limited spectators, you know, in the, in the mm -hmm. building uh, that are going to be required to wear masks. So I guess everybody walking around will, will require that uh, as a result of that. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so Daniel, what kind of a, uh, uh field size are you expecting for the main event? Do you, was this going to uh, drop that number a little bit or, or not really? And the other part I'm really curious about, and you mentioned about, you know, limited number of spectators and that sort of thing, you know, how much different do you think the atmosphere will be? And does it really make any difference to a, you know, a top level pro such as yourself? Once, once the tournament gets underway, you know, whether you have to wear a mask or not, and if there's plexiglass or not, and if there's a spectator going, I mean, does any of that even slightly distract the player at the top level? Yeah. So first and foremost, obviously, you know, whenever you do something like this, I think overall the numbers will be down, but there's a couple of mm -hmm. key factors as to why yeah. you have obviously some people who are not willing to get vaccinated that won't come. Right. Then you have the bigger problem, which is Europe, Australia, a lot of different mm -hmm. countries that fly in, they have travel bans and it's difficult for even, you know, people in Canada to get to the United States. I have seen a rumor that, you know, Europe is talking about on November 1st or right early November opening up travel, which will help uh, immensely. There is also a small faction of people who, would not come, but the, this, this actually proof of vaccine has actually made them feel more comfortable to come. Overall though, I think you're gonna see you know, a decrease in the numbers and this is debatable and I, I'm not trying to you know, get into the weeds with it, but 
you also have to imagine that the quality of the field, when, when you think of the average person, and not everyone, because there are some very intelligent people that are not getting vaccinated, but if you think of the vast majority of non-vax, they're the ones that fall into the QAnon crowd, which are less intelligent. So they're going to be less good at poker. So you have to imagine that the field's, field strengths will be tougher. As for me, I'm just excited to play. I'm looking forward to it. It's the World Series of Poker. Whether there's, you know, 60 players in an event or 6,000, it's irrelevant to me. I'm, I'm looking to, you know, just win bracelets. Um, so I want to ask you about one particular uh, tournament on the schedule. I, I've been playing Hold'em for about 16 years now. And for a long time, I preferred tournaments with slow structures and as much skill as possible. As I've gotten older, I've kind of become less patient, more willing to play hyper turbos and, and let luck play a bigger role, which brings me to maybe the most fascinating new event on the schedule, the, the flip and go presented by GG Poker. 90% of the field will be gone after the first hand. The other 10% is instantly in the money. A lot of people have blown a thousand bucks, but at least nobody's wasting their time. How much are you looking forward to this event compared to others on the schedule? Well, it's funny you mentioned the event because specifically what you described about yourself, you know, where you went from a guy who liked really slow structures to someone who kind of likes wants to get, let's get it over with and get into the money, right? Well, there's a lot of people like you who don't want to spend four days to get in the money. So this is a, and I, this is an idea that's really been very popular on GG Poker. And we thought, can we do this live for one event at the World Series? I mean, there is 80, 90 events. You know, when you talk about the prestige of a bracelet, there's already, you know, a lot of events that kind of, blur that line a little bit and this one does give multiple opportunities and ultimately what happens is everyone who wins their table is in the money but then you actually have to play poker right, right. so you still have to win it just sort of adds a major luck element to the beginning of it and there's of course that fun little added bonus of you get three cards right so you get a queen nine and a four you're like ah well the queen nine offsuit i'll take the queen four suited right so you have a little bit so there is a little bit of skill right? Knowing not to take the nine four, right? Because that's not the one. So there is like a very small modicum of, of skill in that regard. But again, it's all designed to be fun, right? And create something new. And the World Series is always good about innovating something that's unique and fun. And I think this one will be like, I think it'll be well received by the players. I'm going to try to get in um, best I can. I think what they're also be doing with this is in the satellite area, anytime 10 people want to play one, you can just play one, right? And then there will be two, there will be the day of, which has two specific time slots where everyone plays, but I would imagine it'd be kind of fun for guys, you know, who bust out of a tournament and go, let's have a few beers and, you know, play some flip it goes, you know, hopefully we can all get in. So that's a, a satellite. It would be a thousand dollar buy-in satellite that gets you immediately to the money of the tournament you're saying, or it's a hundred dollar satellite to get a thousand dollar seat in, in the flip and go. No, I'm saying because of this, because of the nature of the event, right? Like you really even play one hand. So, you know, since the event is like somewhere around October 10th, from mm. October like 1st to 9th, why not just open it up? This was my idea, actually. I was like, <laughs> why not just open it up for every time 10 people come, one guy gets in, you know, and then the other nine are out. They could try again with a new, you know, 10 players. And that way, so the reason behind that is because it's unlimited. You can, re you can enter as many times as you like, of course. Um, this gives everybody who really wants a chance at a deep run uh, multiple opportunities to, uh, to get in. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious, Daniel, about this uh, Poker Hall of Fame bounty event. And uh, you kind of have a bounty on your head in the year you got inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame, which for you is uh, 2014. So uh, have you talked to other Hall of Famers about this event? Is this like a big deal for them? Or is anybody going to kind of blow it off? Or is it something you're, you're all pretty much engaged in? I'm not so sure. No, I haven't talked to anybody else mm -hmm. about the event. Again, it's, it's along the lines of what the World Series likes to do is kind of celebrate the game a little bit, create some yeah. unique events. And 
you know, this is a little bit of an opportunity to sort of celebrate those in the, in the poker hall of fame. It is open to everyone to play, but of course, you know, if you bust a player who was in the hall of, who is in the hall yeah. of fame, you get a bounty associated with the year in which they, uh, they won. So as you said, for me, it'll be 2014 bucks for Dole Brunson. It's going to be a lot less. He won in 1800 something. I don't know. <laughs> you mentioned Doyle. Uh, have, I mean, I know he hasn't played much world series in recent years. Do you have any idea whether uh, he's looking to play this year and possibly play in that particular event? Well, I know Doyle mentioned, you know, privately, or he said that he was thinking about playing a couple events, but if I were to guess, my guess is he's going to look to play the higher buy-in mixed game events. Cause that's what he plays normally in Doyle's room. Um, you know, or, or Bobby's room, whatever you want to call it. We call it Doyle's room now. <laughs> um, but I, I would imagine that those would be the ones that he would target, like maybe like the $50,000 uh, poker players championship. Gotcha. All right. A lot to look forward to on the schedule. And uh, before we let you go, I, I know you're, you're going to be vlogging, you're selling pieces. Wh- where should people go if they want to keep up with you during the series? Well, obviously my Twitter is where you'll find all the main stuff, which is at real kid poker. Uh, but as far as my YouTube channel, that's easy. That's YouTube at Dean Eggs Poker. And I'll be doing a vlog every day. There will be a release of what's going on. And if you're interested in buying a piece of my action for a daily sweat, you can go to Pocket Fives and click on the staking tab. And under there, you'll see opportunities on the daily to buy pieces of me. But you, you got to be quick because they, they sell like hotcakes. People like to buy them. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, we, we appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast again and uh, best of luck at the series. Hopefully bracelet number seven, maybe eight and nine. We'll see, but uh, good luck with everything. Ten, Daniel. Four. Nobody's ever won four in a year. All right. So this would be the year. Get you, get you to a nice, even 10. There you go. I like it. <laughs> Thanks again, Daniel. See you guys. Two men, Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first let's update our betting bankroll. And we had our second straight almost completely lousy week. We won one bet. Uh, John taking the Dodgers on the run line Thursday paid off with a narrow escape in extra innings. We gained $100 there. But everything else went poorly. Uh, John's Ryder Cup bets both lost. We dropped $140 on those. My boxing bet lost, minus $50 on that one. And my McCaffrey over receiving yards bet got bitten by the injury bug. Always a risk with player prop overs. So that cost us $114. So we lost $204 in total. We're now sitting at negative $857. And let's give a final sweat update on our MLB season-long bets. We have five of them. Trey Turner for the stolen base title is a certain loss, but we'll wait till it's official to grade it. Same with the Cubs to finish within 12 and a half wins of the White Sox. That's a loser uh, and for big money, unfortunately, but we will wait till next week to count it. Then we have Bryce Harper under 37 and a half homers. The injury bug has actually been our friend on that one, uh, as we expected it would be when we made the bet. He's at 34 homers with four games to play. So we just need to avoid four homers in four games. So that bet is looking good. Knock wood. Uh, Not so much with the Dodgers. We had under 103 and a half wins. We need them to go one and three or worse in their final four which is a reasonable expectation for a lot of teams, but not the Dodgers. We're in big trouble on that. Uh, And lastly, our biggest bet, the Pirates under 60 and a half wins. We need them to also go one and three or worse in their remaining four games. One against the Cubs, three against the Reds. 
I have a strong feeling that's going to come down to game number 162. Uh, in short, uh, we stand a good chance of being in a much bigger hole come next week. Uh, good thing it's not real money. Uh, although I do have real money on both the Pirates bet and the Harper bet, as well as Harper at 10 to 1 to win MVP. So I wouldn't mind two or three more homers from him, just not four homers. Uh, anyway, John, anything to comment on regarding our MLB bets uh, or last week's mostly losing efforts? Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, that Dodgers win was the biggest theft I've ever had in three years of the bankroll. I mean, the entire premise of the game was that even Coors Field couldn't stop uh, Mad Max Scherzer, who, by the way, got hammered on Wednesday night, also by the Padres. But this is last week's game. He gave right. up five runs. So, you know, Dodgers are down to the last strike at 5-4 in the ninth in a game. We have to win by two. They tie it at 5-5. Then they fail to score in the 10th, but so do the Rockies. Then a two-run homer in the 11th is nice, but so we're up 7-5. But, of course, the the, the – uh, the potentially fatal ghost runner begins at second in the bottom of the 11th on, on Bay with nobody out. And we still won. So what a steal. <laughs> and the other is uh, briefly on my Ryder cup debacle. Uh, okay. I went level one, right? The Americans are gutless and they fear the veteran Europeans. Okay. But level two was noticing that, you know what? Six of the 12 Americans are rookies. Most of them in their mid twenties. And the guys in their 20s look at four Europeans in their 40s and think, hey, I remember them when I was a kid and and they really were good. And, yeah, I don't, I'm not afraid of them. Not, they're, they're old men. They're as old as my uncles are, you know, so I should have known better. I, I regret that. Well, the, the, I'm glad the Dodgers one worked out as sort of a a bit of a hedge against the season long, you know, so it's kind of whatever we're probably going to lose with the season long. You want it back with last week's bet. So uh, a little something. <laughs> as I said, we are currently down eight hundred fifty seven dollars. We have one thousand six hundred ninety seven dollars on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us seven thousand four hundred forty six dollars available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Well, the Notre Dame offense exploded for 41 points last week, and nah, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was 10 to 10 against Wisconsin entering the fourth quarter, and uh, they used the 96-yard kickoff return touchdown and two pick sixes in that last quarter to mask another, uh, so to speak there, uh, a sorry 242 yards of offense. So I'm a little disappointed I have to give one and a half points with the Cincinnati Bearcats, but uh, on DraftKings, that is. Uh, but they, they're going to win that game by double digits. So, so wait, which side are you taking there, Cincy or Notre Dame? I got lost in all of the uh... Uh, Cincinnati minus one and a half, uh, okay. one ten to one hundred. Yeah. Okay, I don't, I don't follow college football as you know, so I would never have in a million years been able to guess which team was favored. So, okay, Cincy. <laughs> all right, we're rooting against Notre Dame. That's all I need to know. Um, so, uh, I've done this a time or two before, I think, John. I'm going to construct a bet but let you help out with the final decision. Um, I see some great opportunities to tease NFL favorites down this week. I want to do a four team teaser, which would pay plus 260. I have five candidates. So I'm going to let you tell me which one scares you the most. And I'll scratch that from the card. Here are my five Bengals teased from minus seven and a half to minus one and a half versus the Jags on Thursday night. The Titans teased down to minus one at the Jets. The Chiefs tease down to minus one at the Eagles, a game I will be reluctantly attending. Uh, the Packers down <laughs> to minus one versus the Steelers. And the Bucks tease down to minus one in the Brady Bowl in New England. For all I know, you dislike more than one of those. But uh, tell me which one you dislike the most, and we'll ride with the other four. Yeah, this is a challenge. Uh, I'm not sure who the Packers or the Steelers are, so let's erase that one. I mean, there's a puncher's chance that Belichick can come up with some sort of a, you know, kryptonite on his football son Brady in that last one, but I'm not 
quite convinced of that. Okay, so we're scratching the Packers and going with Bengals, Titans, Chiefs, and Bucks. All right, so those are the four, and we'll risk $80 to win 208 all right, sounds good. And for my second pick, uh, one more regular season baseball play. Looking to find a starting pitcher and a team that all actually care on Thursday. And, well, Robbie Ray of the Blue Jays is trying to win a Cy Young Award uh, while propelling the Jays perhaps into the postseason. So let's go well, 100 at plus 135 to beat the Yankees by one and a half runs. Uh, Double-digit Ks coming here, and uh, Robbie Ray is pretty untouchable at home, so I'm confident in this one. All right. And for my second bet, I'll go with a player prop from the big high profile game of the week, Bucks at Pats. Uh, I can get Tom Brady over two and a half touchdown passes at plus 128. Uh, he had four touchdown passes in week one, five in week two, but only one last week against the Rams, which helps us get a decent price here. Uh, and, you know, that's the Rams, probably the scariest defense in the NFL. The Patriots are a middling team. Brady wants to show up Belichick. I expect Bruce Arians will call plays to help Brady have a big statistical game. He has such good receivers. I'm sure Gronk wants to score a touchdown or two. I would say Brady's at least 50-50 to throw for three or more touchdowns in this one, but it's priced as an underdog, so I really like it. Let's bet $75 to win $96. And we finished the show with the Fast Five, and Steady Eddie Brennan just keeps cranking out those three and two weeks. Uh, he now has three in a row and sits at a healthy nine and six, whereas inconsistent Raskin went two and three to trail by one game at eight and seven. Uh, my bold prediction of four and one weeks for both of us did not come true, uh, and it didn't help that we lost our shared pick on the Ravens, but you came closer to four and one than I did, and you're up first this week, John. The floor is yours to either get right into your picks or start with a bad beat lament i'm gonna keep my whining brief on the raiders not covering versus the dolphins uh, i've watched even the great raiders teams over the past 50 years commit cringe inducing penalties constantly so that's part of what you buy you can't complain about oh i would have won if not for that dumb penalty that's the raiders so you can't complain about that what you don't buy is a missed extra point that would have put the raiders up nine points in the fourth quarter and changed pretty much everything so uh the other part is i'm tracking my bets this year and yes nine and six is good but uh also six and three in games decided by uh 10 or more points uh, against the spread. I got crushed both ways by the Saints in weeks one and two. Uh, and the Falcons were up two scores in the fourth quarter versus the spread in week two before a late flurry left them 10 and a half points uh, short of the spread. So uh, really only one team has mystified me basically uh, in three weeks, which is nice. So on to my picks. Um, I like the Colts plus two and a half of the Dolphins. Um, not much more complicated than the Dolphins aren't very good and they've gotten away with a couple of games, but uh, yeah, they're just not good. Also uh, early game uh, Panthers plus four and a half at Cowboys. Now, which McCaffrey I'm going to get, I'm not sure, but I think uh, either way I can cover. And um, there's a little bit too much irrational exuberance uh, over the Cowboys beating up the Eagles on Monday night. And later games, I've got the Cardinals plus four and a half at the Rams. Uh, I am a Rams believer, but the Cardinals uh, they just need to be competitive to perhaps uh, give me a fighting chance and sneak in there. And I'm sticking with the NFC West and uh, 49ers minus three at Seahawks. Admittedly, more of an anti-Seahawks play here. Uh, something's rotten in the state of Washington. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe the coach and the quarterback are tired of each other or something. But, And then finally, the Steelers plus six and a half at Packers. Uh, as I noted earlier, I don't know which team is better. So I uh, get nearly a touchdown uh, on my side trying to figure it out. 
Interesting. So <laughs> you have four underdogs, uh, which yeah. is uh, not a bad move, considering that depending on which final lines you use exactly, it has been reported that 62.5% of games so far this season, the underdog has covered. Um, so I really wanted to pick some dogs this week. Uh, I feel like that's the smart play, but I just couldn't find many that I feel comfortable with. Um, and I guess that's kind of always the challenge. If they're underdogs, some of them are crappy teams. You're supposed to feel uncomfortable betting on them a lot of the time, uh, and it still might be the right side. Um, maybe next week, uh, if this week goes poorly for me. But uh, this week, I only have one dog among my five picks, and you and I will be going head-to-head on two of these. Um, I'll start with my dog, though. It's the Vikings getting two points at home against the Browns. The Vikings have been a little unlucky or poorly coached, perhaps, uh, to get to one and two right now. They should be two and one, could be three and oh. The Browns, they're two and one, but their two wins are against the awful Texans and their backup rookie quarterback, and then the Bears and their overwhelmed rookie quarterback and terrible coaching. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, to me, these teams look pretty evenly matched. I'm getting two points at home. Give me Minnesota. Uh, And now we start with my parade of favorites. I'll go against you and take the Rams minus four and a half at home against Arizona. This line opened at six. Uh, Tough call there, but at four and a half, McVay versus Kingsbury. I know division games tend to play close, but I'll just go obvious here and take the more talented team with the better coach at home. Um, and, and I'll hope for Kyler to rack up lots of garbage time passing yards as he's in the hunt uh, for our 41 to one bet to lead the league in passing yards. He's currently in third place. Um, next up, barely a favorite, but give me the Broncos minus one at home against the Ravens. Teddy covers uh, Teddy Bridgewater, the king of covering. And uh, yeah, Denver has had the softest schedule in the league so far. This is definitely a big step up, but the Ravens are very up and down. This is a defense capable of keeping Lamar in check. And if Lamar isn't having a good game, then the Ravens become a pretty big long shot to win. It's a close call, but I like the Denver side here. Uh, My last two are both six and a half point favorites, which puts me on the right side of the touchdown hook, at least. Uh, First, a home favorite going against you. I'm taking the Packers, hosting the Steelers. I say throw out week one. Green Bay is a good team, regardless of how they looked in the first week. Throw out week one for Pittsburgh, too. I don't think they're any good at all. Big Ben is on his last legs. They just lost by two touchdowns at home against the Bengals. I don't see how they keep it close at Lambeau Field. But uh, obviously, you see that one differently. So we'll see who prevails there. And the other one should be predictable based on my Tom Brady prop bet. I think he's motivated to run up the score. And Tampa versus New England just isn't a fair fight from a talent perspective. So I will gladly give six and a half points on the road here. Rookie quarterbacks are 0-9 against the spread when not facing fellow rookie quarterbacks. Mac Jones uh, just lost his check down outlet in James White. So I'm taking Tampa here. And uh, I'm actually considering in real life taking a nice price for them to win by like 17 or more. I I could Uh absolutely see a blowout in this one. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Daniel Kid Poker Negranu. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, I just want to offer condolences to the US state that is in, well, the 
saddest state possible when it comes to their professional sports teams. Uh, no MLB or NBA teams in the state, but it has the two worst NFL teams tied at 18 and 49 apiece this 2017 and 0 and 3 this year. Uh, a good bet, in other words, for another pair of lost seasons. Yes, I'm talking about the New Jersey Giants and the New Jersey Jets. Uh, neither team has won a playoff game in a decade, and they're a combined 0-1 in the postseason in that span. But wait, doesn't New Jersey have any other teams among the uh, four traditional sports? Yes, there is the New Jersey Devils. And if you're not much of a hockey fan, you say, wait, the Devils, they're usually really good, right? Yeah, in the 1990s and 2000s and even until 2012. And But they, too, haven't won a playoff game since then. And they're 0-1 in playoff series in that span. They are pretty much in the mix to be either last or second to last almost every single year. It's pretty grim. So... You know, sure, some of the franchises in your state probably suck too, but uh, maybe all of them, even for you know a year or two. But I'm talking pretty much a lost decade here, 0 for 3. Uh, good thing I'm not a homer, or I'd be a lot poorer, I think, on the gambling side. Uh, so with that, until next time, everybody, gamble on.